This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis and I'm joined by Elliot. Hey, Elliot. Hello. Good to be uh, here again. <laughs> Elliot Thomas, he's one of our, uh, the head of our tax advisors, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, also, oh, oftentimes he's teaching the Tax Tuesdays in uh, my stead or Jeff's. So welcome back, first off. Good to be I back. I like your flowers. I don't know if anybody Thank can you. see yeah, them. We got the Lego flowers here. They're Lego flowers. <laughs> hey, plastic's better than nothing. Right. All right. So we are bringing tax knowledge to the masses, and let's just get into exactly what the rules are. If you've never been to a Tax Tuesday, you're in for a treat. If you've been here before, you know the drill. So you can ask questions via the Q&A feature of Zoom. You can uh, make comments via the chat. And the distinction between those two is if you have a question that you want answered by a tax professional or one of our staff, put it in the Q&A. If you're making a general comment like, gee, Elliot, you look good today, you could put it in the chat. Or if you want to say where you're from, by all means, put it in that chat and say, hey, what's going on? Like, hey, I'm in Honolulu, Hawaii. Well, I wish I was, but I'm not. But you can always put that in if that's where you're at. Just tell us where you're where, where you're rolling. I see a Claremont, Florida. I see a lot of hello, hello, and uh, you are back. There's Sherry. Yep, and somebody else says I'm in Hawaii. Hawaii. So there we go, Brandon. But the whole idea here is to give you guys a bunch of content and answer your tax questions. We don't charge, but we have a whole bunch of tax professionals, including Elliot here, but also Dana, Dutch, Jared, Kurt, Ross, Tanya, Troy, and even Patty Peary's on. She's not a tax professional, but she can answer questions. There's some folks that says, I'm from San Antonio, sunny Arizona, only 103 (laughs) degrees today, but it's a dry heat. That's what we all say in Vegas, but it's dry, just like fire. (laughs) It's even drier in Arizona, though. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if you have a tax question in the meantime, like if you have one during the two weeks between when we do the Tax Tuesdays, by all means, Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors, shoot it on in, we'll get you an answer. There's somebody from Seattle. There we got Snellville, Georgia. We got people all over the place. We already see questions coming in, so you could ask a question. Now, if you ask something that's too specific to your situation, like we're not just giving general advice, but we're actually advising you, we're going to ask you to become a client. You could do that by becoming a platinum client, and you can ask all the legal questions and tax questions you want to your heart's content in the realm of business, asset protection, tax planning, even legacy planning. Whole idea is that this is supposed to be fast, fun, and uh, a little bit educational. We record these and we put them on YouTube. And I'll share with you my YouTube channel here in a little bit where you can see the recordings. We've been doing this, I think we're over, how many years? We're at 197, I believe. 197, so we're coming across 200. I was, th- I was, I was wondering whether we crossed 100, but I remember doing the Centennial a few years ago. <laughs> Yeah, we've been doing these for a while. We're planning on keep on doing it. So let's talk about the questions we're going to be answering today. Now, I'm going to read these out, and then we're going to answer them uh, in a little bit. But I'm just going to go over what the questions are so you have an idea what's coming up today. All right. Is there a tax ramification of selling my personal home to my daughter via an installment sale? I have lived in the home for more than two years as a primary residence. Will I be able to still use the Section 121 exclusion even though I'm selling to a related party? So we'll go over that. I'm considering taking a small salary for my stock trading business. It's a dual LLC partnership, which means a C-Corp and a partnership through Anderson later this year if the C-Corp ends up with taxable income. What are the trade-offs of deferring that into a 401k? 
both positives and negatives like income payroll taxes and benefit of paying those for Social Security calculation, etc. So we'll answer that. For our C-Corp, we're aware that cleaning services of our personal resident, they're cleaning a resident, we're going to have to stop them and say, quit cleaning the resident, right? No, no, uh, personal residents can be deducted from our corporate taxes. It can? Well, we'll get into that. Would the total expense of cleaning be a write-off or would only a portion of the total expense be a write-off since the entire house is not used for business? Would lawn services be treated the same way? Great question, and we'll get to that. There's, there's actually answers that people might be surprised. When starting my infinity investing journey, should I start purchasing stocks inside of a type of retirement tax-deferred account of some sort, or should it be outside of that in order to use it for leverage or some other some real estate investing later? Great question. Tax-wise, what makes better sense? So we'll break that one down from the tax standpoint and other, another standpoint as well. I have been learning and experimenting with earning dollars through crypto trading. Can you please tell me how to minimize taxes with profits earned through crypto platforms? Good question. We'll hit it. My California CPA said that regardless of what type of entity I put my California rental property in, California will still want to get the $800 franchise tax board fee, the uh, board of equalization fee. That's a minimum tax they charge, tax uh, or fee. Would that be true even with a Wyoming statutory trust? Great question, which we will answer. Does a cash out refi adjust my basis in multifamily apartments? If not, how can we step up in basis before I sell? If I have a lot of equity and depreciation already taken, question mark. How does the Corporate Transparency Act impact the timing of real estate investment decisions from a tax efficiency perspective? Odd question, and we'll get to it. (laughs) In creating a living trust, is it necessary to pay capital gains tax on real estate assets as they are transferred into the trust? So we'll knock that one out too. I have carried a 600,000 loss a $600,000 loss since 2011. I am a real estate professional with an S-Corp. Is there an alternate way to use that? I can't live long enough at the 20 to 25,000 max deduction. Hmm. Interesting questions today. And we're going to get through all of them. You picked those, didn't I you? I did, I did. All right, we're going to put you in timeout over in the... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, if you guys want to see the videos of other Tax Tuesdays that have occurred, we put the topics in, and we always say Tax Tuesday on our... Uh, it'll say Tax Tuesday on the thumbnail on my YouTube, which you can pop into, and I would welcome you to subscribe and click that bell so that you get notified. I think I do about three videos a week on tax and asset protection topics, including Tax Tuesdays. Tax Tuesdays are every other Tuesday, so every other Tuesday or every other week, you're going to get the recording. So if you're not able to watch live or you're not able to stay for the entire uh, visit, you can certainly pop on here and get the replay. So by all means, it's free. A lot of information on there. Let me go back here just for a second. How many videos? Yeah, only 579,000 videos at this point. So we just started. All right. Is there a tax tax ramification of selling my personal home to my daughter via an installment sale? I have lived in the home for more than two years as a primary residence. Will I be able to use the Section 121 exclusion even though I'm selling to a related party? What do you say? All right. So the mere fact that we're selling to a related party does not impact the 121 use 
What is the 121? Well, good point. Yeah, what is 121? 121 is uh, it's a code section number, and it is what allows you to exclude some gain on the sale of your primary residency, provided you meet certain circumstances, which basically we call the two-year use and owning to your use of, of, of as a personal property within the last five years. So then you can exclude up to a quarter million if you're filing single or 500,000 married filing joint. All right, let me make sure I stop mm-hmm. you there. Mm-hmm. So if I live in a home as my primary residence 24 of the last 60 months, correct? then I can avoid capital gains tax on 250,000 of $250,000 of gain up to if I'm single and if I'm married, up to five hundred thousand dollars. Exactly so what, right. So what this individual is doing, let's call them parent, and they're selling to their daughter. They want to a house that they've lived in as a primary residence, and they want to sell it to a relative and still get the ex, the capital gain exclusion. Number two, they want to do it on an installment sale. Correct. So the f- question number one is, can they do that? They can. Just. If you ever look into the uh, the code there, not that anybody would want to do this on their free time, but in 121, in the section, there is a, a part where they do make reference to related parties, but that's not what's going on here. That's a different issue going on that I won't get into, but you can sell to a related party. You can sell to your daughter and still be eligible, provided we meet all the other boxes, two years of use and primary as a primary residence uh, and ownership for the last two of uh, uh, five years. So you're still eligible up to that point. We're good there. Now they want to do an installment sale. So right. let's just talk about what an installment sale is. Yeah. It's I'm 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 recognizing income in more than one tax year. So I'm selling it and I'm recognizing income. So let's say they carry back a note and they get paid over 10 years to their daughter. Mm-hmm. In theory, you're recognizing that income over 10 years. Your capital Correct. gains, you're recognizing over 10 years, return of basis over 10 years. You have to charge interest, federal AFR rates at a minimum, which is right around four or five percent. Yep. And so you're gonna have interest income, capital gains, and return of basis, which is not taxable. Now I'm still trying to say, hey, I want to exclude that gain from 121. Can you do that? So it, it depends how you look at it. You're going you one is not allowed to defer gain on the cell on, on an installment cell when it's to a related party, which we do have here. So now all of a sudden that related party becomes an issue, a potential issue. However, as we just talked about, if there's some gain, maybe if you're if you're single and you're under a quarter million gain, Hold you on, can cause, still- Because let's discuss that for mm-hmm. a quick second. 453, mm-hmm. there's a provision on related parties. Yes. If they sell it within two years, you have to recognize the gain, but I'm able to sell to a related party. You can sell to a related party, but you have to recognize all the gain up front, the capital gain. You're not allowed to take, say, a 10-year note and just uh, when it's to a related party and just recognize a little bit of gain over time, they won't you want sure to. sure of that? Yeah. All right. It's from the publication. <laughs> okay. So maybe it's in a publication. Because uh, I know that that was the rule, but they, I thought they switched it up when they changed the 121 last time. I mean, if I go there, there's actually a related party section. If they sell it within two years, I thought that, but let's assume that you're correct. You probably want to opt out of the 121 or the, uh, the, the 453, the installment sale anyway. Because let's just think about this. If ordinarily I'm doing an installment sale, it's to spread out the tax hit. If there is no tax hit because I have a capital gain exclusion, then why would I spread that out over a period of years? I would just say, this is what you do when you sell, for example, to a S-corp. If I was selling mm-hmm. my house to an S-corp under the installment methodology, I would opt out of the installment method and I would recognize it all in year one. Correct. 
So we're really doing the same thing. And then as long as our gain is underneath whichever exclusion we're at, 250 or 500,000, well, really it's no harm to go ahead and recognize all that because you'll be able to offset it. And then the child can still pay you over time. You're allowed to receive the payments over time. It's just so you have to recognize yeah. the gain. Yeah. You, again, let's say that I bought my house. And if you're out there, if you're the individual that wrote this question, could you put it in chat that you're out there? Because I'd love to see the actual facts. Just go into chat and say, hey, this is me. And uh, what I would be asking is, what is my basis? So let's just say that you bought the house for two fifty dollars and it's worth 500000 and you're selling it to your daughter over a 10, 20 year stretch, you would just say, hey, it's $250,000 a gain. I'm just going to recognize it. But I could still have the installment sale. The only additional tax that you're going to get hit with potentially is the interest, Correct. right? Because you're going to still have interest income on an annual basis from your daughter. Uh-huh. And that's it. It's not harder than that. Nope. Uh, no. So there's, a, there's some real opportunity. Still be able to do what you want to do here and accomplish it. But we might have to do it in a little bit different representation on your return. All right. Let's move to the next one. Elliot, I'm considering taking a small salary from my stock trading business. So they have a LLC that's taxed as a partnership with a corporation that is a partner, uh, one of the members of the LLC, and that that LLC is taxed as a C-Corp. So there's a LLC taxed as a partnership and an LLC taxed as a C-Corp. And the C-Corp LLC is, is a partner in that, uh, that partnership LLC, as is the individual taxpayer, more than likely. So this would be like me owning a partnership and Elliot is the corporation and he, he owns a piece of the partnership. That, therefore, when we make money, a portion of it flows into Elliot. It flows into the C-Corp. Usually it's around 20%. And the C-Corp ends up with income. Usually it's expensing it and it's writing it off by doing reimbursements for certain expenses. It might be things like cell phone, uh, technology, subscriptions, education, going to classes, going to events, things like that. A lot, of, a lot of traders are part of an active community like the Infinity community, and they have expenses. Now, what happens if there's extra money sitting in that C-Corp? And there's a couple ways that could happen. Number one, the C-Corp could have an interest in that partnership and it makes its money that way, but it could also charge, called a guaranteed payment to partner, And in both those cases, I get a deduction from the partnership, so I personally don't have to pay tax on it. But what ends up is the corporation, or in my example, Elliot, ends up with a bunch of cash. And so now this person is saying, should I take that out as a salary and put it into a 401k? What say you? Well, it's just going to depend. This is, as Toby always says, this is a calculate, calculate, calculate moment. If you take it out as salary... Well, then we, one consideration, and there's a lot of different uh, variables here, but is your personal tax rate below 21%? Why do I say that? Well, because a C-Corp's tax at 21% flat tax. So you might have a tax savings had you just left the cash in there. But if you want to put it into the solo 401k, like you said, you're going to have to have earned income anyway. And so then it's a balancing of, well, if you take a, a paycheck from the C-Corp, how much do you want to take, you know, how much of earned income, your W-2 wage, do you want to take to balance how much you're going to put in as an individual into this plan versus what the corporation itself will put in, which is limited to 25% of that earned income or the W-2 that you take as an employee. So we got a lot of different things we have to look at here, and it's really going to take just sitting down and penciling it out and putting the numbers and calculations together. But I think that's ultimately for this individual what they're going to be looking at 
you know, if you took all the salary out as a C corp, just directly W two, uh, and took it personally, well, then again, you know, if you're taxed at a higher tax bracket, you're paying a little bit there over the twenty one percent flat tax. You're not putting anything into retirement yet. You got more flexibility, arguably, with your investments outside of a plan. Although solo four and Ks, the way we set them up, we set them up for the probably the maximum you know that you can as far as investment strategies within that solo. So mm-hmm. you know these are all you, you got task considerations and you have investing considerations both going on here. All right, so let's just say that you had ten thousand dollars of net income in that corporation that will be taxable if we don't do anything with it. So it's sitting in the the corporation. It's going to be taxed. It's going to pay twenty one hundred dollars in tax, and you'd retain. in that corporation for use for the future. And instead you said, hey, should I take that out as a salary? So let's say that you pull it out as a salary and you defer the entire amount into a 401k. The numbers will look kind of like this. You're going to have old age disability and survivor's benefits, individual and corporate. It is 12.9% or 12.4%, excuse me. So each side pays six and a half. So you would have a portion of it that uh, goes and uh, is paid into Social Security for your benefit. Corporation pays in a portion for your benefit, but it ends up being about 12.4%. There's also Medicaid, 2.9%. And again, it's half and half. And there's a phase out. Do you know what the phase out is this year? 167 or something like that? Yeah, that that whole part. So if you make over 167,000, you don't even have to worry about the Social Security component of it. But let's just We'll just use that number. It's it's 15.3%. Because there's a partial deduction, it's actually 14.1%. So you have $10,000. $1,400 is going to have to go to the government in some way. You're going to have withholding potentially too. But I'm going to be able to get, what does that add up to? About $7,600, pretty close to that, that I'm going to be able to get into my 401k. And I'm going to write it off. So I'm not going to owe tax on it. I'm going to have to pay the payroll tax only. So in, in, in number one, the version number one, where we don't do anything, you end up with uh, $2,100 of tax. In version number two, you end up with about $1,400 of tax, but your tax deferred growth on that remaining sum until, you t- until you're required to take it out until you hit 73. And uh, yeah, if you have a, it depends on what you're investing in. You could go and open up a regular old Schwab account and trade or you could do an Anderson 401k and use the money for a variety of uh, investments, including real estate. The other side is if I put money in that 401k, so let's just say, again, I have the 10,000, the company can contribute $2,500 on my behalf as well and write it off. And so that, there's And that's not subject to uh, payroll and, taxes. Right. So, so I could get a total, just doing rough math, of over $10,000 into my retirement plan. It's going to cost me around 12500 and then here's the fun part. I could actually borrow from my 401k half of those proceeds up to $50,000. So if I say, hey, you know what? I have a project over here, a real estate, or I have a high interest credit card. I could actually borrow from my own 401k and wipe out some of that debt. Mm-hmm. All I did is I put that money into a tax deferred vehicle that's going to be taxable and, you know, in some cases, 30 or 40 years from now. So, you know, those are the the weighings, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I tend to just write the heck off of everything that I can get my <laughs> hands on inside of a corporation and get the tax to zero. Yeah. That's my goal. I'm not going to sit there. Unless I'm in the highest tax bracket, I'm probably not going to want to have money sitting in that corporation because it's it's like, I, yeah, I have to pay 21% and then eventually how am I going to get it out? 
right? I'm going to either expense it out or I'm going to have to pay it out as a dividend and I'm going to pay tax at my long-term capital gains rate on it. So like, it's not like there's a free lunch. If I can expense it out, it's a free lunch. I get, I, and I have the money. It's not in a tax deferred zone, but I don't have to pay any tax on it. I like that. I like zero tax. That's a big fan. Absolutely. But those are the, those are the, the, the positives and the drawbacks on it. Anything else? No, I think that was pretty much it. But a lot, lot, lot to consider in there. You know, when you when these considerations come up, uh, and this is what we do a lot in tax planning, kind of throw the numbers out there. And what you might be realizing as you sit there, because I I know I do this, is yeah, it gets complicated. And there's a lot of different options, and that's why it's really important that you deal with people that actually know this stuff. It's really easy for someone to say, "Oh, never do a C corp." <laughs> oh, never take a salary. What you should actually do is have somebody that's willing to sit down and say. Here's the good and the bad and the ugly. Like we do it on here, but you could do that with an individual too. And by the way, since we started, I've had Troy, Tanya, Sergey, and Kurt join as well. We already had Jared and Ross and Dutch and Dana and Patty and Elliot, but we have a ton of people answering questions. So if you go into Q&A and you have something that's burning at you, like, hey, I really wanted to get an answer to a question about tax, now's the time to do it. You got a bunch of CPAs and attorneys that are willing to answer and they're not charging you anything. I don't know the last time you got something free from a professional, but yeah, I, I got a free bill once. <laughs> they didn't charge me for the, po- well, actually they did charge me for the postage too. Oh, it was Damn. built in, trust me. <laughs> yeah, all right. For our C-Corp, we are aware that cleaning services of our personal residents can be deducted from our corporate taxes. Really? <laughs> would the total expense of cleaning be a write-off or would only a portion of the total expense be a write-off since the entire house is not used for business? Would lawn services be treated the same way? Right. Well, then that's kind of what I thought the first time I looked at this question is there isn't necessarily the right to write, uh, to write off your cleaning services of your personal home and your corporation. But if you are using part of it as an office, home office uh, deduction or administrative office reimbursement deduction, uh, either way, you can throw in an element for the cleaning. And as the questioner uh, points out here, it would be based on the percentage use of, of the or the square footage of the office or however you get that percentage. Uh, it would not be 100% write-off, but it would just be the portion that's used for the, the office. Yeah, so most people, when you have a business, and nowadays especially, you have an area of your home that's being dedicated to that business. In most cases, they're taking a bedroom. So let's say you had a three-bedroom home, maybe you have a living room and a large kitchen area. You could actually call that five rooms, right? It's not. It's three bedrooms and two roughly equivalent large rooms. The IRS allows a business, a different methodology than you do as a sole proprietor when you take a home office. If I'm a sole proprietor taking a home office, I use gross square footage or I'm using $5 per square foot. So I have a 10 by 15 room and uh, I might be looking at $750 a year that I can write off. Whereas a business, a corporation with employees, which is why we always use S-Corps and C-Corps in our structures, can reimburse you for the value of, 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 your, of, of what you're giving up. Mm-hmm. So if I'm the homeowner, I just made you, as the business, here's an office, and I'm not charging you rent, but you need to pay your proportionate expenses. It's called indirect expense, including a portion of depreciation. This throws people off, but the IRS actually gives us the schedule, and this is it. So like, if I'm ABC Corporation, and Elliot works for me, and he says, hey, I'm working at home, I could say, all right, Elliot, I'm going to reimburse you whatever that portion is. So let's go back to where you have a three bedroom home with two roughly equivalent rooms. 
And Elliot is using one of those rooms as a home office. One fifth, that's what he's gonna write off of any and all expenses associated with that house. So now we go through the house, we grab the utilities, we grab the mortgage expense, we grab the property taxes, we grab the cleaning expense. If there's a cleaner that cleans that home and they clean that office as well, it's 20% of that expense. The corporation can reimburse you tax-free. It writes it off. You don't have to report it. And it ends up being, a, in some cases, a fairly sizable amount. So yes, for your cleaning service, the cleaning service in and of itself is an indirect expense associated with the use of an administrative office for the home. Pretty straight, pretty cut and dry. And there's, you know, there's some practitioners out there that are stuck in the past. There was an old case about a doctor and they said, you have to, you have to do all of your administrative services or some, there was a bunch of nonsense, which they changed the law after that. So there's still a, there's still a case out there that sometimes people jump up and say, what about this case? And I'm like, well, they changed the law. It doesn't matter anymore. You're allowed to do this and it's spelled out. You can use any reasonable method. You could do net square footage. You could do gross square footage. You could do room methodology. You can use any method that's reasonable. The IRS accepts. Now I get to write that off. Now, the last question you had was on lawn service. This one, there's cases on. You want to hit it? Yeah, th this is a little bit different. If we have stuff going on the outside, you know, or the, uh, the, of the house, really what the IRS is going to look at, you know, do you have clientele that visit on a regular basis? And it's just not one client coming a week. It's every day you have, you know, you're a doctor, you're, you're meeting patients there or something like that, you know, whatever it be, and it's on a regular continuous basis, then you're going to start, you're going to be able to reimburse and deduct these outside expenses as opposed to just the inside. Yeah. If I'm reimbursing Elliot for his use of his home and he doesn't see any clients, what do we care what the outside looks like? But if Elliot is a therapist and he's meeting patients each day, then they say, yeah, you can deduct the the reasonable cost of the uh, of that maintenance, that landscaping to make it look presentable. And I would imagine that it's going to be a proportion again. It's going to be that portion that's being used. You just have to be reasonable about it, guys. It's not like there's going to be a, ha-ha, I, I have somebody who visits me once a year, therefore I'm going to write off all my lawn service for the year. It doesn't work that way. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered, right? So we want to be piggish. We don't want to be hoggish. So in this particular case, it's facts and circumstances again. If you have the tax toolbox, I actually have a form in there where you can fill out all the information. I'll calculate it for you. All your utility bills, your internet, the water, the electricity. It even goes down. You can say what, what year you purchased it, what month you put it into service, all that stuff. And you can calculate the, even the depreciation, which you don't have to recapture. It's reimbursing you for the cost, but you don't have to recapture it. it just It's an easy spreadsheet that will calculate the amount that you're able to write yourself a check for. And you don't have to recognize it. It's nowhere on your W-2. It's nowhere on your, it's, it, there's not a tax form for it. You don't have to recognize it. It's literally like being reimbursed if you brought a pizza into the office. Your office calls you up and says, Elliot, on the way in, hit Pizza Hut, and I'll reimburse you when you get here. You show up, you got 50 bucks at Pizza Hut. I write you a check for 50 bucks. You don't have to report it anywhere. The employer is just gonna call it an expense. And that's what this is. The employer is going to call it an expense for a housing expense or leasing or office expense. You're going to report it nowhere. It's not going to go on your 1040 at all. We like that. Absolutely. It's best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. Well put. All right. When starting my Infinity Investing journey, by the way, we have a brand called Infinity Investing, where we teach people how to build wealth 
the infinity way, which is to create income streams, multiple income streams. We, we happen to believe that that's the way to wealth is to have multiple streams of income and let them build up over time and compounders. That's a big one. But when starting my infinity investing journey, should I start purchasing stocks? That's always our first step is dividend producing stocks inside of a type of retirement plan or a retirement tax deferred account or some sort, or should I be outside of that in order to use it for leverage for some real estate investing later? Tax-wise, what makes better sense? What do you think? This, again, was kind of one of those, uh, you may want to do some calculations. I didn't have a strong opinion one way or another, depending on what my goals were. So I'm really going to turn this one over to the guy who is the infinity expert. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, so here's the easy rule. If you're in a higher tax bracket than you will be when you retire, defer it. If you are in a lower tax bracket now than you will be when you retire, then put it in a Roth, right? Pay the tax now and never pay tax again. So it works like this. If you are in your peak years and you're making, you're in the top brackets, the last thing you want is more income. You want to defer that. You want to be able to put money into a retirement plan. If you are just starting out and you don't have a high income, you're making 50000 a year or less, I would tell you put it in a Roth IRA or Roth 401k. Get that money into something. Pay tax now because it'll be a really low. You'll be in the 10%, 12%. It's not a huge tax hit. And then you'll never pay tax ever again on that money. And then you say, but what if I have a real estate deal? Okay, you could actually partner with your Roth. Or if you want to take the money that you contributed out, you can do it. You leave the growth in the plan, but it's not taxable to take out my investment. So if I put you know, $5,000 a year for, for three or four years in there, and then I have a great real estate deal, and I'm like, crap, I need $15,000 to close, I can take out up to what I've contributed tax-free, and I leave the rest in there. I'd probably be cautioning against that because if you're just getting started, I'd be like, hey, it's better to walk away from deals and keep the seeds, seeds planted. Like it's no different than farming. Don't go eat your seed. Don't go dig up the plants when it's just popping up and sprouting. Like, like don't go harvest it yet. Let it grow, right? So I'm going to be one of those guys that'll be like, hey, this is sacred money over here in that Roth that's growing. You just, you got 40 years of growth, at 50 years, 60 years, let it grow right? Is you're never going to pay tax ever on that money. Just leave it there and pass up some deals or, or good deals will find money. This, that's the truth is that if you find good deals, there's people out there that'll loan you the money or that you can bring in as partners. You can even borrow. Like I can say, hey, Elliot, will you, will you loan me money out of your retirement plan? And you might say, oh, I actually okay, would yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. So you could do that, right? But that's, that's the idea is that if you are, and this is the flip side, People always say, oh, I'm going to convert my Roth. And I see them and they're in the 32% or whatever. They're in a high, they're 35% tax bracket. I'm like, you're going to pay 35%. You convert a hundred grand, you're going to have $65,000 left over. And they're like, but I'm going to invest it myself. And I go, <laughs> like, stop it. It's going to take you, you're going to have to double your, like, you're going to have to have a 50% return, not double. You're going to have to have a 50% return to break even. Statistically, it takes 30 years to catch up, right? All things being equal, the same growth rates and all that stuff. So I'm always like, if you're in a high tax bracket, don't convert. If you're in a low tax bracket, convert. And that could be a year by year thing. Like if I'm a real estate investor and I'm a real estate pro one year and I buy a property, cost seg, accelerate depreciation, end up in the lowest tax bracket, convert your Roth. Convert your Roth 401k, convert your Roth IRA. But that's the year to do it at that 10%, 12%, 22% brackets. That's okay. 
But uh, if you're converting at 35, 37%, I'm going to have to sit down and have a stern discussion about math, <laughs> right? It's like it, it takes a long time to make up that, that tax hit. So if I was going to give you any advice when you're starting out and if you have kids, get your kids, fund them, pay them through your business, please put it right into a Roth and uh, those kids will never pay tax ever again. Or if they're making good money, if they're making dollars $50,000 a year and you're like, oh shoot, they have to pay tax on this, defer it then, get it into an IRA, get it into a 401k. But once you plant those seeds and it's growing tax-free, it's going to grow so much faster. You want it to compound, and that takes time. Enough of that. Sir, I have been learning and implementing with earning money through crypto trading. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Can you please tell me how to minimize taxes with profits earned through crypto platforms? Yeah, lately we haven't been able to talk a lot about profits through crypto. So, But I saw one up to maybe 1300 a day, so it was great It's news. killing it. Yeah. It's yeah. way up this year. Doing fantastic. As soon as I sold. <laughs> so really we look at this, uh, as, you, as you say, it's crypto trading. So we do the same trading partnership that we talked about earlier, set up a partnership, put it the account into that partnership, a partnership has two partners, usually a C corporation with 10, 20%. The other goes to the individual, the other 90 or 80%. Uh, that allows us to do a lot of good things. It, it First of all, it pulls some of the gain, taxable gain off of your return into the C corporation, that 10% or 20%. Mm -hmm. um, and then once it's in there, we get to do some of the things that Toby was just talking about, the administrative office, such as that's how you could be reimbursed for that. Uh, we have corporate meetings. We haven't touched on that today, but 280A, which is probably the longest we've ever gone without talking about 280A. And then also a medical reimbursement plan in the C-Corp is very popular as well. Or get enough in there, pay yourself a wage, maybe put into a retirement plan, do all those things that we've been talking about already. Yeah, so here's the big one with crypto. And I get into arguments with people because they never want to – the crypto folks are independent. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you're saying, here's what the rule is. Ah, that's not what I heard. <laughs> no, no, here, here's the rule. Like, this is what the IRS has said. This is how they're treating it. No, that's not what I heard. <laughs> okay, throw it away then. You know, do what you want. But the uh, when you're mining, it's income. So when you're mining the crypto, it's ordinary active income. So, like, if you have miners, the machines and you're mining, every day you create a Bitcoin or you create an Ethereum or whatever it is that you're mining, that's taxable at the price, I believe, that it opened for that day. So you're going to have a taxable event and it's going to be ordinary. And then what you, what you want is to get that from there into a realm where it's never going to be taxed again. So sometimes you contribute it to a, a Roth or something, and then it's a capital asset and it's going to grow. So if I'm trading crypto, I'm not creating it, but I'm trading it. So I buy Bitcoin, I sell it, I buy it, I sell it. That's short-term capital gains. And it's treated just like any other capital asset that you sell, just like stock. So we're going to structure it just like Elliot just said. When I'm creating it, though, I might have my, my miners in some sort of business structure to enable me to, to, to offset and avoid some of that tax hit. Maybe get it into a 401k maybe even put it into a Roth 401k where I can put over $60,000 a year into one of those. And I'm like, I'll, I'm willing to take the hit up front because I, I know my stuff and I'm having great success. The people in crypto tend to either be feast or famine. So maybe you're feasting and you're like, hey, I'm going to make two, 300 grand. Great. Do that in a, in a Roth environment. Once you, once you get rolling, you never have to pay tax on it. It's great. That's it. Fun stuff. And maybe someday they're going to give us really clear rules 
maybe uh, someday. About what, what, what a Bitcoin is, what crypto yeah. is. The, <laughs> the still, SEC, they're really... The SEC is cracking, right? <laughs> but, but nobody will give a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. And then even the stuff that the IRS came out with from chief's counsels is leave some stuff to the imagination, right? Yeah. All right. My California CPA said that regardless of what type of entity I put my California rental property in, California will want to get the $800 franchise tax board fee. Would that be true even with the Wyoming Statutory Trust? Question mark. Well, generally, we a lot, a lot of times we'll use the Wyoming Statutory Trust as basically a disregarded entity, which I would not see it paying the 800. I don't believe it's subject to it as a no, business chief trust. counsel's office has already said it's treated as a business trust and it's not taxable. Yep. It's not subject to the $800 a year, period. Full stop. They've already ruled on that one. So, but if you're talking about a grantor trust, land trust, living trust, those, again, you're not, those are not taxable for the franchise tax board. What's taxable to the franchise tax board or corporations and LLCs. So even if we took the Wyoming Statutory Trust, maybe had it taxed as a corp, uh, we probably still wouldn't be hit because the trust itself is not subject. Does that seem? No, it has. To, it, it's it's treated as a business trust when it's the trust itself. If you tax it as something different, you might you might be looking at a potential tax hit. So if you tr- tax it as a corporation, then California would say, "Oh, it's a corporation for tax purposes. Great. Yeah, we're going to assess the franchise tax board." So it depends on the type of vehicle it is. You could even have a limited partnership. There's going to they can go look this up. Right? I could tell you something now that's not going to make any sense. And if you go look it up, you'll see that what I'm telling you is 100% accurate. You could have a disregarded limited partnership in California, and it is not taxable to, un, under the Franchise Tax Board, under the Board of Equalization Franchise Tax, period. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Right, And that trips people out because they're like, no, all. They use that word, all. No. The statute specifies what types of entities are taxable. And under what situations? And the question is, is this in one of those situations? And if you have a disregarded limited partnership, they specifically said not taxable. If you have a business trust, they specifically said not taxable. So it's not a question of interpretation. The Franchise Tax Board, Board of Equalization, stated this is how we are treating it. You can rely on that. So it's not, it's not that hard. So your, your, your accountant is 100% wrong. But what they do like, what, what, what they're not wrong about is the franchise tax board. If you ask them, hey, I'm going to be taxed as a dog. Yeah, 800. What if I'm taxed as a, a cat? 1500? Yeah, 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 800. <laughs> what if I am uh, green and it's not even an entity, but I did? Yeah, yeah, 800. We'll tax that. If you ask them, they're just going to tell you that you got to pay, whatever. That's why you got to have professionals to keep you out of trouble. All right. Speaking of keeping you out of trouble, we are doing two more tax and asset protection workshops. We have one coming up on June 24th. It looks like this weekend that I'll be teaching that with Clint. And June 29th, I'll also be teaching that one with Clint. So uh, Clint does a great job breaking down land trust, Wyoming statutory trusts, LLCs, corporations using Wyoming, how to use this with real estate. And I do a decent job of going over the tax treatment. We're going to go over cost segregation, accelerated depreciation, deductions for things like the administrative office in the home, 280A, as well as creating a legacy, how you can create something for your family that lasts generations, hundreds of years, as opposed to die and distribute. And I'll show you how to do all that fun stuff on the one-day virtual event, the Tax and Asset Protection Workshop. It will not be a bad use of your time. It'll be an excellent use of your time to learn these things. 
because at any cocktail party you go to, somebody's going to spout <laughs> off, and you're going to be able to say, ah, oh, that's not actually the case. I'm that guy. Get a drink in me. <laughs> you're the one who corrects them. <laughs> you are incorrect, sir. <laughs> That's always a fun one. And then, and then I get kicked out. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah, there, there's the door, sir. You, yeah, do you want to be right or happy? That's what, I, that's what my wife always says. You want to be right or happy? You're right. All right. Does a cash out refi adjust my basis in multifamily apartments? If not, how can we get a step up in basis before I sell if I have a lot of equity and depreciation already taken? All right. So um, generally speaking, a refi, all you've done is you've, you've changed your equity in your house into cash. So you're just changing asset to asset. That doesn't change basis and your, your depreciable basis in that property. What might be impacted is your what we call outside basis. If you're in a partnership arrangement, you take that cash out to do something with it. You can work with it, and it, but it does lower your outside basis in the partnership itself, but not the building. Are not you the really room. talking about outside basis on a text <laughs> Tuesday? <laughs> well, I didn't want. I didn't want the before people just went. <laughs> what is that that you are but, talking but, about? But generally <laughs> speaking, just the basis in the building itself for depreciation purposes, no, it has no impact whatsoever on that. Yeah, borrowing money is not going to adjust your basis, and you're not going to get a step up in basis in your property unless you die. You're going to have to do a 1031 exchange. You're going to have to, you know, possibly, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't even want to say, like, you could do installment sales, but you, it's not going to step up your basis. The only other way that I know of stepping up a basis is if you're in a qualified opportunity zone, which meant that you deliberately went into a qualified opportunity zone fund. And you held it for 10 years and it stepped up. But otherwise, it's upon death uh, or you're, you're, you're selling, right? So it's, it's, yeah, there's no other way to get a step up. Not from borrowing, that's for sure. Yeah, step up, no. Increase maybe if you put more improvements in, but I don't know if that really gets you anywhere you want to that, be. That's for, not going to step up your basis. Though. No, no, it won't step up. It would just increase I the just, basis. I just see they use that step up. And yeah. I always say, yep. okay, that's a buzzword. Mm -hmm. Has meaning. Let's yep. talk about it. Yep. The other thing is if you take out too much money and you're not at risk, you're in a partnership. So this is for those of you guys who do syndications mm -hmm. and they give you money in excess of what you contributed. So it's, it's called uh, uh, return in excess of your basis. That'll be treated as capital gains. So if you're one of those people that invested in an apartment complex and they do this, they do the big remodel and then they borrow and they distribute all the money and you put in 100 and you get 120, it's a good chance you have $20,000 of capital gains there. Uh, your accountant will catch that. Let's move on. Because <laughs> we're talking about outside basis. So let's jump right over to the Corporate Transparency <laughs> Act. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. How does the Corporate Transparency Act impact the timing of real estate investment decisions from a tax efficiency perspective? So uh, just as a little background, I, I picked this question because we've seen it coming up the last couple of weeks. People have been asking about this. Uh, the CTA, and so I just, I don't know that we've, Clint has a video out there about it, uh, but we haven't, I haven't, at least in tax-wise, we haven't spoken a whole lot about it. So uh, it doesn't have any impact on your taxes whatsoever. This has nothing to do with taxes at all. So I just wanted to get cleared out there for those who are listening. See, that's an easy answer. <laughs> How does the Corporate Transparency Act impact the time? It doesn't. <laughs> but right. just to give some education, because we are here to educate, although this mm -hmm. isn't taxes, what is it then? Well, 
what we need to start worrying about on January 1st of 2024. Before then, you don't have to worry about it. In fact, you can't even submit the, uh, the, the forms until January 1st of 2024. And that's going to be for any entity uh, formed prior to that. And you have up until January 1st of 2025 to get those in there. And it's just a simple thing showing who, who owns it over, over 25% or who exhibits substantial control, usually a manager. They're looking for tax cheats. Yeah. What they're looking for is people that are using others to control, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a public database. It's FinCEN. They just want to know that you're not some oligarch from some place and that you're using Elliot's name on something so that you can control millions of dollars. They want to know who the end beneficiary is. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. I actually like it. The mm-hmm. Bank Secrecy Act is essentially the same thing, but apparently that's not good enough. Yeah. If they're asking <laughs> the exact same stuff, I'm like, they needed a whole new department. We already have it, but let's create another statute and ask for it again and get it to FinCEN. But yeah, really all it is is who's in control. And it's not, it could be, hey, do you have signatory control? Do you, are, you, are you directing other people? Because if so, then you have a duty to disclose. And they're using it probably to catch some people that aren't being honest and are using others to control their they're, they're move money around, maybe money launder or things like that. And it gives them another tool in their toolbox to bring those folks to bear. But for individuals like us, it's not going to matter. Yeah. And an act like this is all about who's really got the control. You know, in the, it's in not the, a public record. No. It's not going to compromise you. It's FinCEN. But we've it. had a lot of questions come up about it over the years. So I just want to go back and, and just reinforce it doesn't have anything to do with tax. Well, Elliot, what if I had a disregard and I changed it into a corporation? They don't care. It has nothing to do yeah. with tax. If it's a filed entity, you're going to be doing it. If you have 25% greater ownership or you exert control, you're going to be reporting yourself. And we're going to say like, hey, you, 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 you. Yeah, just do it so you don't ever have to worry about getting hit for not doing it. Right? It's just, it's, it's, it's not going to be, to me, it's not going to be material. I think it's, no. it's, it's. They've been asking for this for quite some time. The banks have been dealing with it for the better part of 10, 15 years. Because I remember used to be (laughs) back in the day when you could open up bank accounts really easily. And they they put the stop to that after the the financial debacle in 2008, the Great Recession. And they really, really did put the screws down Mm -hmm. on disclosure and getting to know your client, know your client. And most folks do that anyway. And now they're just saying, hey, report it directly to FinCEN. You don't need the third party. All right, thinking of third parties. Somebody's got a bimini there. It looks like a sailboat. The people are never really noticed the people, but that guy looks so excited that he's on a sailboat. I'm on a boat. In creating a living trust, is it necessary to pay capital gains tax on real estate assets as they are transferred into the trust? Over time, we get this question a lot. This is real simple too. There's no taxable transaction moving assets into a living trust. It's, it's a revocable grantor trust. You haven't done anything in the ways of taxes. I don't know, Toby, but the only thing I could possibly think where we might have a tax consideration is at the state level in a state like Pennsylvania, perhaps, but they probably mm-hmm. have an exemption for that. I don't know. Uh, Pennsylvania depends on the living trust. They mm-hmm. do have an exemption. There are some states that still have a transfer tax. I'm not aware of any recently that I've seen. Like We've, we've worked around all of those issues. But a living trust is a grantor trust, so it's my trust. It's my property. It's a grantor trust is ignored and you, it, they, they tax the grantor. So from a tax standpoint, I'm transferring it from my right pocket to my left pocket. That's it. It's still me. It's still on my return. Nothing's changed. 
and you do not have to pay any capital gains tax. There's not a single state in the union, nor is it a federal rule that you have to pay the capital gains tax. The only time is if that living trust is not a grantor trust and it's not yours. So an irrevocable trust of your, you know, somebody else, you, then you might be looking at an issue, yep. depending on that type of transfer. All right. I have carried a $600,000 loss since 2011. I am a real estate professional with an S-corp. Is there an alternate way to use that? I can't live long enough at the twenty dollars to $25,000 maximum deduction. So I'm making some, some assumptions here because we're talking about the $20,000, $25,000 max deduction. I think we're talking probably about the passive activity loss rules here. Yeah, but that's on a year-by-year basis. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it very much is uh, what's going on in that year. In fact, rep status isn't necessarily a year-by-year uh, status on its own. Uh, you have to you have to actually qualify each year. But no, that's what I mean. That's oh, what I said. Yeah. It's oh, a year. It, it's a year-by-year basis. So yeah. that what matters is what were you in the six hundred thousand dollar loss year? Because mm. you have a loss. You have a passive loss carry forward or a capital loss carry forward. Mm. I don't know which one it is. Yeah. And if it's a passive loss carry forward, then you need passive income to offset it. Because mm. whatever I do now doesn't change Correct. that $600,000. That was etched in stone the year that it was generated. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they even mentioned the $25,000 deduction. I think maybe they're just saying if they had 100000 of AGI, they'd be able to take 25000 of passive loss, but I don't know. Would that be the carry forward? I guess they'd be able to take that. Yeah, that's right, because yeah. we're not converting it into ordinary loss. Right. It's not real estate professional. So they're a real estate professional, which won't convert it. And they're using up to $25,000 a year of passive active loss under 469, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, I'm just thinking about that. My brain sometimes malfunctions on that one because I look at it as like a, it's a year-by-year mm-hmm. deal, and so whether you're an active or whether you're a real estate professional or whether you're just straight up passive. So if, if this is me and I, and I really want to take that loss, there's, there's two choices, right? Go ahead. Well, you, you know what my, my first one is, is just to use a quote that uh, our colleague in the tax advising department really loves, uh, Arash, and he uses this a lot, but uh, the pigs eat pals. So you can have what's called a passive income generator. That just means, mm-hmm. as Toby said, make some passive income. You won't pay tax on it. Start eating it up by finding something that's going to generate passive loss. Um, or? Or you could sell a property, but yeah. <laughs> there's always a but. You know, how we got rep staff becomes important. Did we do it by aggregating our property? In which case, maybe we, it won't help us unless we sell substantially all of our property. That's the only way we'll release those passive losses. If we didn't aggregate, you could sell the property, that's that, the offending property that created this loss, mm-hmm. and that will all be released Lease the pals, one of the best things you could ever see on your tax returns. Yeah, so the uh, it gets really interesting. If I get rid of the items that created the passive loss, mm-hmm. then it releases those losses and they become ordinary loss. Correct. They wipe out the gain, and if there's excess, it's ordinary loss that'll wipe out your other income. Mm-hmm. If, like what, what Elliot's talking about in the aggregation, if to become a real estate professional... I elected to treat all of my rental activities as one activity. The problem is, in order to release that $600,000 loss, you have to get rid of substantially all of those assets. Not just the one anymore. Now you're going to have to get rid of a whole bunch. And so we've tainted the $600,000. Correct. So Elliot goes back to the pigs eat pals, right? Mm -hmm. You need passive income. 
and you need lots of passive income to wipe out that that uh that passive loss you want to recognize that passive income you probably don't want to be a real estate professional you want to use up that 600,000 for the time being because it's going to wipe out and you're going to use it up you know i know you're like six what do they say Six or half, half a dozen, dozen yeah. right? It's it's the same thing. It's yeah, it's sometimes easier said than done. You know, okay, Elliot, can you show me how I can make six hundred thousand passive? Well, you know, no, I can't. I'm just thinking about <laughs> this, but it's it just means that they have six hundred. They based off of what they just wrote, they're making a hundred thousand bucks a year as a real estate professional, and they have six hundred thousand dollars of loss carry for it. So what I really want is lots of passive income. Now, here's one thing that might help that you may not even realize: a lot of the exits of syndications, if you're passive. They're passive. So you may end up with passive capital gains. And sometimes we we're, we break through it. We make ourselves a real estate professional. And this is one of those cases where you may not want to and just let it be passive and then wipe it out with your $600,000 of loss. And that may be in a more appropriate route to go, but it really depends on your tax situations. Uh, so he says those losses are gone. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. I mean, <laughs> they, got, they got time. They got time to make it, but they uh, they took it right in the kneecap in uh, in 2011. Mm-hmm. A lot of people did. Yeah. A lot of people still carrying that. All right. Hey, if you like this type of information, please go to YouTube and uh, you do the whatever. It's, uh, there's a bell. You can you could subscribe by clicking the little. There's got to be a thumb. It says subscribe. That's why it's not on there. And then you click on that little bell, and it'll tell you. So like three times a week. Somebody, Sherry's already trolling us because we're on time. <laughs> I think we're on time. I'm actually two minutes early. I don't know. Are we, are we done? Yeah, that was it. Oh, geez. It was over so quick. <laughs> I'm not going to say what's coming to mind. Um, all right. And if you want to come to the Tax and Asset Protection Workshop, it's uh, June 24th, June 29th. There's two of them. They're, it's not the same event. It's uh, one-day events on two different days, so it's not a continuation. I'll just say that. And, uh, again, Clint does a great job breaking down LLCs, series LLCs, limited partnerships, living trusts, corporations, everything's there. Uh, somebody says, what happens to three times a week? Uh, we get videos see right here. You go to – you can't see because they just took a snapshot – poop. You can't see all the videos, but I put about three videos out a week and you can come and absolutely see. Uh, there's lots of stuff that I've been doing on the difference between different types of retirement accounts, on real estate, on how they're keeping us poor. That's always one of my favorite things to go over. Lots of tax strategies. My channel tends to be filled a lot with uh, how to make money and keep it. Yes, the events are live and we have a full staff on. So like today, we answered 200 questions. We still have 17 that are open. And you had uh, Elliot, Dana, Dutch, Jared, Kurt, Ross, Sergey, Tanya, Troy, and even Patty. Uh, Almost every one of those is either a CPA or an attorney. And we're here to answer your questions. And yeah, we don't charge for this. Uh, We don't charge for the tax and asset protection workshop. Uh, What we do is we show you solutions. If they make sense, we ask that you you join and uh, and give us a try. Uh, It's the only thing we ask. And uh, and see if it see if it works. Make sure that relationship works for all parties. Uh, if you have questions in the meantime, I know that a lot of you guys are used to talking to your accountant and they send you a bill and stuff. We don't do that. If you uh, send us a question in Tax Tuesday, Anderson Advisors, not only does Elliot look for the worst questions and then put them on. No, I'm just teasing. 
No, we look for the questions that we use for this. We get hundreds, mm. uh, so there's plenty of opportunity uh, to, to be selected. Uh, but uh, you know, it's not a guarantee. It's not a slam dunk either. Mm. But we pick from that group. But we, we answer all the qu- uh, questions we can. And uh, and if anything else, visit us at Anderson Advisors. Lots and lots of information on that website, and you could take it from there. So I just want to say thank you for joining us. I don't see any other questions that we have that are in front of us. I see lots of questions that are still open. Do not worry. If you have a question that's pending, we stay on and answer your questions so you don't have to worry. We're not going to end the event. What I'm going to do is mute myself and my friend Elliot here, and we're going to bail out. If you have a pending question, stay on until your question is answered. For everybody, thank you for joining us. And by all means, uh, we look forward to seeing you back. Leave us some comments if you go into YouTube. And uh, if you have any questions or any comments, you can always put them in the uh, at TaxTuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. So until next time, thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.